coming to you live, but not really. It is all pomp and no circumstance with Ryder Richards on LetUsThinkAboutIt.com, the amateur hour you should never tune into. Welcome back. This is your host, Ryder Richards. All right. Today, we are going to continue stumbling along on this little path I'm creating as we work. Now, the last dozen episodes or so have all really been about this contradictory injunction, and I'm kind of declaring that as a way to, I don't know, consider the sway of the binary and its traps and how opposition plays a role in dynamically inverting the didactic. Now, in the last few episodes, we looked at how mimetic desire, that is memes and mimicry, even camouflage, shape our desires and offer tactics to blend. From which, of course, the symbolic or abstract and artificial can really begin to have real-world effects upon us. So, what I'm really looking at here is how to parse the contamination of reality with, I don't know, for the lack of maybe a better word, fiction. How fiction is bleeding into reality and confusing us. So, one way to think about this is when stories shape our desires and we work to manifest our desires, we must have them to be happy, to be fulfilled individuals. So in last episode, which was kind of a weird one, uh, step 75, that was holy to holy shit. We looked at how God was impossible to relate to as an all-powerful transcendent thing. And I I really, I guess the closest we could get was considering him as some, some sort of super powerful authoritarian daddy because we were relating him to what we knew. So what happens is his unknowability meant that he had to split himself, his singular self, into two, with his son coming down to be treated by us like filth, right? And in this way, we can now relate to God through Jesus, through the son. So we relate through abuse, scapegoating, injustice, sacrifice, and just basically being bloody and brutal humans. That is, we took the transcendent values and we turned them all into trash. We bundled up all the good stuff, yeah, that was lots of different values and concepts, and we ran it through the food processor of humanity, oh yeah, the bowels of perversion and transgression, and we turned the holy into shit. Now, from this undifferentiated mass, this homogenized shit pile, we now, oddly, have fertilizer to grow something new, so what are we growing? Hmm. Now this all brings us around to today's episode. Slavoj Žižek, he brings up this idea of concrete universalism, and I don't think he's the first one to sort of stumble into this, but it does relate a little bit to this God-Jesus split we were talking about, which is trying to make the symbolic or abstract idea also be something in reality at the same time. So how can something be concrete but applicable to everything? That seems like a contradiction. Because, of course, transcendence is, you know, it's definitionally impossible to attain if we're located in reality. It is, after all, transcendent. But oddly enough, there is this notion that contradictions like this are actually, I mean, what if they are pointing out their own transcendence within them? What if the transcendence is imminent to the problem it's trying to overcome? This is very bizarre. So the thing still remains while transcending itself or going outside of itself at the same time or breaking its own contradictions. <laughs> and what makes this even wilder is that means that the thing has always transcended itself. It is not contradictory. We just couldn't see it before. 
<laughs> so that's some fantastic reframing going on there. So yeah, let's get back to the point here. Concrete universalism. Now with concrete as this specific, real and particular thing, and universal as the abstract and applicable to everything idea. Now, can something be both at once? Can we have an abstract God and concrete Jesus? Well, <laughs> maybe, but let's not even bring in this idea of the Trinity, right? Getting into the threes, the old Holy Spirit just showing up and he's all like polyamory and open relationships and whatnot. That really mucks up our binary. Part one, concrete universalism. Now, where were we? Hmm. Well, because I'm simple, let's keep it at two sides or oppositions. Let's not bring in that third party. Now, with these two, we can call them Kantian antinomies or even Hegelian antagonisms. What happens is they're bound up in an impossible disagreement with each side attempting to fully become, that is to overcome their own limits. Now, part of overcoming their limits is gauged by overcoming the other, because how do you know, right? Politically and socially, one side is always attempting to have dominion over the center, which is how they're going to win. Now, on this kind of oppositional path where they're fighting each other, there's always a moment of twisting back where they actually look like they're relating to their antagonistic opposite. That's befriending the enemy. Now, this is movement towards the hated other, and of course, it's perceived as a compromise. And this compromise, mm, that smacks of failure. Failure to overcome, to dominate. <laughs> now, what happens here, though, is not that they become the other. They don't become the other. They don't really fail here and merge back into one thing. Instead, what you might consider is that the movement has an extreme peak. This kind of apex as these two sides diverge from each other. Now the apex ends up becoming the symbolic definition of that movement, even as the person, the group, or the movement sort of collapses and crashes back into reality because you just can't sustain that for too long. So even if Marx or Che Guevara, who of course were only human, well, they had this ideology, and even Che Guevara, right, they had the t-shirt, and each one of these had a peak moment that really kind of defines the entire movement, even if they never completely dominated the center. That is, they failed, and yet they persist as possibly more essential and powerful, and maybe even they're more unprovable and incontrovertible because they did not succeed, right? I mean, how do you fight a ghost? That's the point here. They become all-powerful because you cannot prove or disprove them at some point. So here, the failure, the failure of Marxism or even Che Guevara to overcome the antagonism, and that is perhaps to win everything, to transcend the opposition completely, to dominate, that would have actually converted the two sides into one, of course. But what it means for these movements is that they're failing and falling back to earth results in becoming something more, not less. The failure actually becomes a victorious amplification. Now, this is also just like Christ's horrid treatment, his scapegoating, which allowed the victim to become relatable and thus victorious. Failure wins. This is one to two, two into all, and from all, we have a new, more robust one, a new universalism founded on a very real thing. Trash. Okay, so this one's going to get a little redundant, but I'm going to keep saying it. Hopefully it'll stick. Now, Slavoj Žižek gives an example of concrete universalism. 
He says to take, for instance, garbage. So for garbage, the species designates the definition. That is the broad category of garbage. Well, garbage is like a genus, but it also has species underneath it, and garbage itself is one of the species of itself. So Zizek says the category finds its truth in one of the species. So let's say here, for example, right, you have all your recyclables, right? You have maybe paper, glass, plastics are all divided up. You also have your non-recyclables, your things that won't go into the landfill, maybe. Um, you also might have biodegradables such as food waste. But also maybe along the side, there's going to be this mysterious X. And this is the black bag of trash. So while garbage can be all these things, it can stand for all the plastics, recyclables, non-recyclables, biodegradables, amongst all of them, is this weird subspecies as well of just garbage. And this is the mysterious black bag. Now this is a, a very specific thing, right? We can all picture it. So it's concrete, and yet at the same time, a black sack also stands for the universal of garbage. Now the universal, definitionally, it's, it's kind of like this broadly applied encompassing definition. It is because of its breadth and ability to circumscribe a concept that it tends towards abstract generalization. However, what we're talking about here, the concrete universal, this means it's a very real thing you can point at while it still can stand for the abstract symbol. So when people say garbage, you can actually point to the black bulging sack, this universal receptacle, not really knowing what it contains, and yet you can still know that it's garbage of some sort. So it's sort of doing double duty here. Now, you might say to all this, so what, writer? Well, hmm, perhaps this is interesting or maybe this whole idea is just trash, right? Maybe it's just some odd observational nonsense that we're pretending is somehow meaningful because we like philosophy. Now, the idea though is how do we use the concrete universal or why should we even care or try to recognize it? And I think for us, or for me maybe, the implication is that a real thing can be pointed to, and this is the truth, from which we extend the definition to encompass other things. Hmm, so this is an extension of one thing to all things. But this is kind of a fundamental thing, right? This black sack of trash here, the concrete universal. This also has to contain or maintain some level of vague mystery to it. Otherwise, I don't know, it's strange, it cannot be fully known, or else maybe it wouldn't be vague enough to be the definition for the overarching category under which we shove all these somehow related items. Now, maybe in this way, it is like God, the one universal symbol, unknowable as he is, but it is also like shit. It is a catch-all sack of refuse lumped together under one name and we only have the murkiest of ideas what's actually going on inside. Art. Okay, here's a nice little left turn from God to shit to art. <laughs> from holy to mere to art. <laughs> so let's talk about the central problem of art and reference Picasso along the way. Now, this also comes from Zizek and the Zizek and so on podcast. But of course, I'm going to attempt to kind of condense and extrapolate it a little bit. Some forms of art, maybe the very best ones, are attempting to resolve a deadlock, inscribed into their very idea, written into their existence by the artist. So what happens is if you stop attempting to define art as one thing, 
but think about it as a set of antagonisms, such as art as an expression or maybe an exposure, and yet also art as a concealment happening simultaneously. Hmm. So in this way, you can see how art expresses the inability to clearly express. Now, this makes the art more than real in an interesting way. It becomes meta or transcendent because of its antagonisms. It's commenting on the realness while working to escape it. But of course, the art is still here in reality. It is always real. It was always real while attempting to express something beyond reality. So this is good stuff, right? This is great. Now, where this gets funny and back to the concrete universal is in the case of somebody like Picasso. Now, similar to the garbage example we mentioned earlier, you can think of Picasso and his work, his art practice, as a body of work. There is this totality that is Pablo Picasso, but it's also made up of all these little species of art. So here's where it's fun. Now, would you choose definitionally for Picasso his blue period? His cubist phase, or perhaps Guernica. Now, to extract one piece or part as a proxy for the whole is, of course, a reduction. Yet, a reduction to one can actually kind of exemplify the totality. And then, of course, to go further, maybe we're considering the antagonisms in Guernica, which is Picasso's famous painting about the tragedy of the Spanish Civil War. It's attempting to show horror without replicating the image of horror. So it's anti-war, yet how do you communicate tragedy without offering a picture, a representation that replicates and doubles the tragedy in the world? So this is the antagonistic deadlock inscribed in the very creation of the piece. Closure. So what I really like about this idea of the concrete universal, or maybe the particular abstract, as we might want to call it, is that it shows the simultaneous looseness of our attribution while defining a very real location from which we can go back and attempt identification, even if it doesn't really work. So pinning down symbolic meanings to an object. Yeah, that's kind of odd, and you might even say that it's dangerous because it can lead to deification. It also really seems to forget that objects, people, and ideas, really, they, they're processes. They're not really reified, fixed, or concrete. It moves the finding here into being found. It moves the process into fixity and curiosity into this deadlocked belief, this really static belief. Yet, we can also find a touch point in reality and see areas where a specific sort of bleeds and slides becoming a universal. And it's almost like how you know, even something simple like uh, branded Coke or aspirin can become a generic stand-in for a broader category, and yet we can see how they fail to be the total of the category. The total category just keeps expanding, even as the definitional object tries to demarcate and establish a point from which it can never hold. Now, this episode takes a one, and it elevates it into a universal, but oddly, it keeps the one grounded as a subset or subspecies at the same time. This is a kind of splitting. Now, this is a duplication of the work that it does, where it doubles its role, and at once hits an apex in becoming, while never leaving the ground. This is splitting and remaining to become more. 
All right, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate your time, and thank you for sticking with me on more of these little excavations. Now, the next episode is going to be another one of Zizek's ideas, the parallax gap, which I still need to do some studying on. But I think it's going to help us transition into alchemy, which was a request from one of my listeners. Now, of course, if you like the show, please like, rate, review, or whatever you need to do, <laughs> including, of course, sharing this episode with a friend. That's always helpful. Now, perhaps this is somebody who likes art or is really into trash. I don't know. Maybe it's just going to end up being odd dinner conversation. That's fine, too. But until next time, take that one dinner and make it into a number two. But <laughs>